All right, Lord, um, all good things come from you. For that, we give you thanks. Jesus, I pray that um, pray that you glorify yourself in this time. pray that you would speak your gospel. Uh, I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be very active, Lord. And just confess that I have nothing to offer and, um, and that we are, we are helpless without your grace. And I, I pray, Lord, that you'd be incredibly generous to us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, this, uh, we're going to do a four-week series. The series is called The Gospel According to Pixar. I'm teaching this week. Uh, Jay is teaching next week. Sarah Siebel's is the next week. And then after that is... Um, oh, Sally, Sally Goings, the week of the mystery trip. Sally Goings is teaching. Um, and I think the other films are Ratatouille, um, Wally, and there's one I can't remember. Uh, but anyhow, so this week's Finding Nemo. Um, let me, uh, well, tell you what, we'll just start out with this. Here's the, here's the question we're going to address, and here's the thing we're going to look at today. You can see the title is Belief Drives Behavior. What, what, what we do is ultimately is defined by what we believe. And so the question we're going to ask here is, how would we live if we really believed that God is good and in control and that he perfectly loves us? So how, how would we, if we actually believe that, how would that influence the way that we treated people? How would that influence the way that we live our life? How would it uh, influence the way that we feel in different circumstances and the way we react to certain things in our life? And so that's the question. How will we live if we really believe that God perfectly loved us? Um, so we're going to have to um, we're going to have to kind of uh, <laughs> suspend disbelief for a little bit because uh, we're going to be talking about these things as it pertains to fish, to clownfish. We're going to be uh, making assumptions that these clownfish are people made in the image of God and that they have the ability to relate to God and that they have a belief system which they're clownfish. But anyhow. So the movie is is Finding Nemo. How many people who anyone here has seen Finding Nemo? Great. Okay. The basic narrative of Finding Nemo is about these two fish, uh, or about this family of fish. And you'll see kind of see what happens to the mom here, but uh, Marlin and his wife, uh, Coral and they're, they're pregnant. They have 400 fish eggs that have been planted. And, uh, you know, sadly, coral dies. And all the fish except for one are lost. And that one fish that comes through is Nemo. And we're going we're gonna to look at how, um, what happens to Nemo and the relationship between Nemo and his dad. But here you go. I'll, I'll, I'll drive here for a second. You need to stand up. Right. Nemo and Coral are going to look at their fish. They've just moved into their new house. Excuse me, can you check and see if 
if I have a hook in my lip? Marlon! Well, you gotta look closer because it's way in the Cutie's here. Where did everybody go? All right, so hold on. I'll, I'm going to start right back. So while we're all in the pitch black dark here, um, uh, how, okay, he has had this horrible tragedy, right? He's lost 399 of his potential children. He, uh, his wife, his wife is gone, okay? How do we think this may influence his view of God? How do we think this may influence his, yes, Sheltie, thank you. Adult, by the way, adults, I know in your classes, y'all don't talk. In our clan, in youth classes, we talk. So, Shelby. Um, he probably feels like God's revenge for him that he didn't exist. Great. God has abandoned me. Um, you know, could God really exist? Could he really be good? That's awesome, okay? So now let's look. Let's look at how, uh, how Marlon's behavior changes um, and, and the way he lives now after this. By the way, we're not judging Marlon. I, I would I would be pretty upset too if this has happened to me.
Don't move! Don't move! You'll never get out of there yourself. I'll do it. All right, where's the brake? You feel a brake? Sometimes you can't tell the fluid is rushing to the area. Now, any rushing fluids? Are you woozy? How many stripes do I have? Answer the stripe question. Three. No! See, something's wrong with you. I have one, two, three. That's all I have. Oh, you're okay. How's the lucky spin? Lucky. Let's see. <laughs> Are you sure you want to go to school this year? Because there's no problem if you don't. You can wait five or six years. Come on, Dad. It's time for school. Uh-uh-uh. Forgot to brush. Oh. Do you want this anemone to sting you? Yes. Brush. <sighs> okay, I'm done. Oh, you missed a spot. Where? There. <laughs> <laughs> right So let's uh, let's talk about let's characterize the uh, uh, Marlin. Uh, what are some of the sound bites? First off, what are, how would we describe Marlin? How would we characterize him? Helicopter, Helicopter parent. <laughs> what are some of the sound bites or some of the behaviors that he exhibits? The world is not safe. What's our mantra for life? The ocean is not safe, right? Okay. Um, and uh, and then when they stick their head out, they have to go, you know, look out four times before they go. How about this? What does he say to Nemo um, when he's an egg? The last thing he says before it kind of transitions into Nemo as a, a young fish. I will never let anything happen to you. Okay, that's a, that's a pretty powerful statement. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a way beyond his capability. Like no parent, no person can prevent things happening to another person, right? I mean, we like to think that. We like to think that, you know, with um, with our, you know, little security handles on our doors or, you know, with uh, all the little, say, you know, the plug, things you put in your plugs with your baby, you like to think that, um, you know, you can control things. But at the end of the day, you have some friends over on Friday night and you leave a really sharp knife out and you see your two-and-a-half-year-old with an extremely sharp knife in his hand. Um, you know, you just can't... You just can't. That's hypothetical. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, here. Um, but you know, but you can't control these things, okay? So we see that you know, uh, Mary Shelton well said that Nemo probably we just can assume that based on what has happened circumstantially, probably believes that God has abandoned him. God's not in control, and God's certainly not for him. And so his reaction is, I must be in control. His emotional state is he's very afraid, um, and you know, we'll kind of see in this next clip how he how he kind of starts to treat Nemo as a dad. This next clip, we want to look at how does Nemo, how does Nemo view his father, okay, and how do, and how does he behave in response to that? Um, Okay. 
must see. Neymar, no! Dad? You were about to swim in the open water. No, I wasn't. It's just a good thing I was here. If I hadn't shown up, I don't know. This does not concern you, kids. And you're lucky I don't tell your parents you were out there. You know you can't swim well. I can swim fine, Dad, okay? No, it's not okay. You shouldn't be anywhere near here. Okay, I was right. You know what? We'll start school in a year or two. No, Dad, just because you're scared of the ocean. Clearly you're not ready, and you're not coming back until you are. You think you could do these things, but you just can't, Nemo. I hate you. There's nothing to see. Gather over there. Excuse me, is there anything I can do? I am a scientist, sir. Uh, is there any problem? You know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt things. He, he isn't a good swimmer, and I just think it's a little too soon for him to be out here unsupervised. Well, I can assure you, he's quite safe with me. Look, I'm sure he is. But you have a large class, and he can get lost, you know, from sight if you're not looking. No, I'm not saying you're not looking. Oh, my gosh! been a tough 10 minutes for Marlon. Um, yeah, you want to take that? Okay, so now let's think about this. Um, how uh, how does Marlon perceive his father? Not Marlon, sorry. How does Nemo perceive his father? Overprotective. Overprotective, okay. What are some other things? Does he think, do you think he believes that God, that, uh, that, <laughs> uh, that Marlon, that his dad loves him? Yeah, just wants to control him. And I, here's one I think the bigger ones is when Nemo tries to explain himself, Marlon is not listening. He tries to say, Dad, I wasn't going to go. Dad this, Dad that. And before he can ever get anything out, Marlon is, you know, spe- is running his mouth and, and condemning him. And, um, and he def- so he does, definitely doesn't, his dad doesn't believe in him. His dad doesn't value him. His dad doesn't know him. doesn't listen to what he has to say. There is one really telling soundbite, I think, um, where w- when Nemo is swimming out to the boat, what is one of the things that Marlin says that demonstrates major self-absorption? I'll have to go out there. Yeah, don't go out there. I'm going to have to swim out there and get you before another fish does. Which, you know, it kind of when we are kind of reduced to this fear mentality and we kind of believe that we're on our own, we generally become pretty self-absorbed. It becomes kind of all about us. I mean, Marlin, his, I mean, 
his concern is there's certainly got to be concern for Nemo, uh, and simultaneously there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of self-absorption in the way that Marlin's. Uh, I can't believe we're getting this deep. We're talking about clownfish in a cartoon, but hey, what can we say? Last psychoanalysis there. Um, all right, so so here's the thing, the um, the kind of where we're going here is what you believe about God is has ultimate influence on how you live your life. That's Bill Bright. He's the founder of Campus Crusade. Um, great great quote there. And, uh, you know, your influence, uh, your knowledge of self influences your knowledge of God. Your knowledge of God influences your knowledge of self. So John Calvin um, kind of talking about how both of those things kind of uh, feed off one another. And, uh, and then my quote just asked Adam and Eve. Um, the, the, um, the point we're making here is a lot of times we, we try to deal with our sin or our fear or things of that, of that nature uh, on the surface level. If I could just quit worrying, um, if I could, if I could just be nicer, if I could just be more patient to, you know, more patient with my children, more patient with my mom and dad, uh, more patient with the drivers on 280. Now that the the lanes are, you know, about that wide, and the, you know, the roads all curvy and you're all over the place, you know. And we think if I could just manage my behavior, what we fail to, um, what we fail to. Uh, realize and what we fail to remember is that what we do is influenced by what we believe and ultimately it's influenced by what we believe about God. That is what drives us. Whether we, if we believe that God is good, that he loves us, that he's in control, that is going to have a major influence on how we feel, how we relate to people, and, and how we behave. Um, if we believe that God is absent, um, that he is against us, that he is distant, then that is going, that is going to have an influence on how we live. And so what we're going to, uh, and, and, you know, we're going to look at Numbers uh, chapter 13 and chapter 14 real fast. Um, but uh, let me just say this too. This is, I think, you know, always go back to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Um, the shift, the shift in Adam and Eve in the way, and, and their decision to uh, eat from the tree and to sin, it's influenced by lies that Satan told them about God. Um, he t- and about themselves. I mean, the first thing he, he tells them is, uh, you, you know, you, you can't, did God really say that? So basically, can we really know who God is? Can we really know, um, can, we really, can we really know him? Can we know anything about God? Or is he this distant God who's too big and, oh, he's just so grand that he would never enter this sphere and we as humans could, can never know anything about him and therefore we're left to make up things about ourselves. That's kind of the prevalent uh, worldview in, in, in the culture today. Um, so anyhow, that's the first lie. Second lie is God's against you. He's holding out on you. Um, he doesn't care about you. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he just, he basically doesn't want you to do that for himself. He's not, it's not out of love or care for you. And the third thing he says, you can do things on your own. And so we're going to see that, 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 that train of thought um, consistently flows through scripture. I mean, right, the next story is, is Cain and Abel, and it occurs there too. And we're going to see here um, in this, this passage from Numbers um, that it's the same thing. There's, th- okay, to give you a little context, Book of Numbers comes after Exodus, comes before Deuteronomy. This uh, follows the Israelites after they have come, uh, they've, they've uh, gone through the plagues in Egypt, they have... Uh, they have uh, experienced the Passover. God has brought them across the Red Sea, miraculously brought them out of slavery after, you know, he's promised them for generations that he has a promised land for them, that they'll be slaves, but he's going to deliver them. And he's done that. And they're now in the desert and they're moving towards the promised land. And, and that's, the, that's the context where we are in numbers. And what's going to happen in the story is 
they send out a team of spies to look into the promised land and to see what's there. And the spies come back and they're going to say, um, the people there, the land is great. It's really, really good. It's flowing with milk and honey, just like was promised. Um, but the people there, they're ferocious. They're big. Uh, they have fortified cities. They're tall. And, um, you know, basically what they insinuate is we're done. We're in big trouble if we go into the promised land. We will lose. We're a little Israel. Um, we are slaves. Uh, we, we're just wandering through a desert here, and they are strong and fortified. And so there's what, what's going to happen is the Israelites are going to, the people, in response to what the spies have to say, the people are going to um, say, no way, we're not going. Like, we're out of here. We're heading back to Egypt. Uh, God is against us. He's abandoned us, and we're, we're done. And so there's going to be this contrast between the reaction of the Israelite people and the reaction of the leadership, which Joshua, Caleb, and Moses, they're the leadership. And you're going to see their faith in the goodness of God, their confidence in God's love for them, contrasted with um, kind of the, uh, the, the, the fear and the disbelief of the Israelite people. Um, so, uh, next slide if you would. Okay, so numbers starting in 13 going into 14. All right, uh, the Amalekites dwell in the land. Wait a minute. Wrong page. There we go. <laughs> okay. At the end of the 40 days, they, these are the spies, returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. Then is, this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of, of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Okay, so they're, they're coming back with a bad report. And Caleb immediately says, Let's just go in there now. Like, we can occupy it. Caleb's not afraid. Um... Then the men who had gone up with him said, in reaction to Caleb, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone, gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Now notice, when we're afraid, when we believe God has abandoned us, we are, we're not in touch with reality, right? You know, the problems are so much bigger than they really are. Our, our, you know, we are so much more inadequate than is, than is true. Um, uh, you know, listen, listen to this. Now tell me if you think this is true. The land through which we have spied it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw, saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the, the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. So we seem to them, okay? So they, you know, the land devours its inhabitants. Hmm. Um, they're cannibals. Um, we looked like grasshoppers to them. Okay, now keep in mind they're spies. They're spies. They're they're kind of going in a clandestine manner, uh, like kind of they're sneaking around basically in uh, into the land, and they're making um, they're making assumptions about the reaction of the people in the land on how they perceive them. They they saw us, and we were grasshoppers to them. 
Well, you didn't, they didn't interact with them. They're, they're, they're basically reading into their mind. Um, okay, and so, so keep that in mind. We all know that. Like when we're, when we're walking in fear, um, we get out of touch with reality. Um, okay, so then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Which means, like, I wish we had died in Egypt. That would have been a better situation. Uh, where they were slaves where they were fed garbage, uh, where they had no freedom, and where they were treated horribly. Or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Okay, so let's, let's, think, about, uh, let's think about this. What are... Um, does anyone hear a spiraler? Like, oh no, this happens, which means that this is going to happen, which means that this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and, and at the end of the spiral is always Cameron, Lauren, Mary Matthews, and baby Cam sleeping in a gutter. All right? <laughs> it's like, oh no, I've got a flat tire, which means this is going to happen, which means that's going to happen, which means that's going to happen, and we're going to be homeless. You know? But anyhow. And so, so anyhow, basically all that has come back is the, uh, the people... The spies have seen um, the spies have seen that there are big people who have well fortified cities in this really really lush land, okay? And all of a sudden, their children are going to die. Our children will die by the sword if we had just only died, you know, if we had only died back in Egypt or when we had first come into the wilderness. Things would be better, okay? So they're spiraling, and um, and also too, what is their view of God here? What do they what do they think about God's relationship to them? God's trying to do what? Yeah, God's trying to kill us. Like, you know, God's trying to kill us, right? Okay, now, we're going to go back. Um, we're going to go back to the... Now will come the reaction of Moses and, uh, and Aaron and Joshua. And they'll, they'll respond. So we have lack of faith. Now we're going back to these guys who are walking in faith, okay? Um, and by the way, you know, I'm talking about walking in faith. We have to remember, like, this, uh, this, when we're talking about faith, we're not talking about just mustering up some belief from within, okay? A lot of times, uh, a lot of times, like, Christianity is characterized as, like, let's just believe, believe in God, believe in God, believe in God. And that's not what it is. What we're doing with faith is we're just making a proper response to what has been revealed to us about God. Like, what has been revealed to these people about God previously? Like, the, God said, hey, put blood above your door, and, uh, and you know, your children will be spared. But the people who don't put blood above their door from a lamb, this is the Passover I'm talking about, they're going to die. And, and their children are spared, and other people's children died. So they see this incredible mercy of God. All right, they stood with an army charging towards them. Um, and, you know, the, the, there's a sea, a red sea in front of them. And all of a sudden, the waters part. All these people will experience this. Um, and they walked across. And it's not the distant past. And so, so basically, um, what you know, Joshua and the leadership of the Israelites who are walking in faith, it's not that they just have this blind view that God is good. They, it has been revealed to them that God is good and God is faithful. That he's, he's lived up to the promise that he would bring them out of slavery. And that, and that there will be a land for them. So I just want to make, make clear that faith is not something we generate from within. 
it's, it's, something, it's reacting to what's been revealed to us about the goodness and the character of God and his love for us. Okay, so we'll see it here. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. That means they're really upset. And they said to all the congregation of the land, If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Okay? So, wow, what a statement. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land. Okay? If God is good, of all these promises about God, that he's good, that he loves us, uh, that he is faithful, uh, and that he's in control, that he's a living God who's active in our world, um, if all these things are true, then we're going to be fine as we go into the land. Now, here's the thing. Not, that's not just because, you know, a lot of times we can have this idea of like, hey, you know what, if God is for us, that means we're going to succeed. That's not what we're saying. It has been promised to them for generations that God would take them into this land. And so basically, here what we have is the proposition, God has promised us this land, and then we have the other proposition, which is God is good, okay? And so they're saying if God is good, then we are going to go into the land, and there will be a battle, but we'll prevail because God has said that that is what's going to happen. And so basically, notice they don't say to the people, they don't respond to the people by saying, hey guys, get it together, quit worrying, come on, like we can do this. There's no pep talk, there's no locker room, locker room, you know, speech. There's not an appeal to behavior. They don't say quit worrying. They don't say quit being a bunch of sissies, we can do this. They appeal to the character of God. That's where they go. They say, hey look, if God's good, then we're going to be fine. And, and what, they're, what they're getting to is the whole point of this class, is it is our belief, belief in God, whether he's good or not, uh, that it influences how we respond and how we behave and how we live. Okay, so uh, finally, finally here, um, uh, what Joshua is saying, their, their, prote- their protection, the people in the promised land, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them, uh, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So the congregation, after hearing this, says, we're going to stone the leadership. <laughs> all right? But the glory of the Lord appeared at the, tent, uh, at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. So God's presence shows in a way that it pacifies the people and they, and they chill out. Okay, last line. It's very tempting for me to, to just leave this line out. But in the, in the way that the text is organized, this line is here. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me, and how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Okay, so God is, we're seeing God's holiness here. Like God is saying, like, how long are these people going to rebel against me? And, um, and, and God has a desire to judge his own people, and... He is uh, slow to anger and quick to forgive. And, and Moses uh, goes before God and says, Lord, forgive like forgive us. Please forgive us. Have mercy on us. And, and God withholds that. Um, but anyhow, uh, so going to the next slide here. So here are the thing. The, the, three, the three beliefs. This is uh, maybe a little, little oversimplified, but kind of the three beliefs we see going on here um, and that I think are kind of the, the pivotal ones in, in terms of our lives are... God delights in us. So the, the first belief that we really wrestle with is, does, does God really love us? Does God really care about us? Or is God against us? Um, the second one is, uh, God is with us. 
Okay, now I think this, I think this for me is probably perhaps the biggest struggle is like, is God really here? You know, when something goes wrong, there, there is, uh, there is an immediate reaction that like Jesus has left the building. You know, like he was with, things were going well and God was with me and we were walking. It was great. And then something goes bad and it's like, wait a minute, he's gone. He left, you know? And so, um, and, and so with that being said, probably the hardest thing that we wrestle with is this, is God living and active in our lives permanently, like all the time? Like, is God still here even when it doesn't feel like he's here? Is God still here even when things go bad? Um, and, you know, I said Nemo. You see Nemo. What is Nemo's reaction? If he thinks that his dad is against us, what does Nemo immediately do? He rebels. Yeah, he hits the road. And so, like, you know, in our rebellion, the different things that we do that are, you know, that are, like, that we know are flagrantly in, in, in disobedience to God's law, um, what that kind of reflects is a belief of, like, is God really good? Like, does God really, when God gave me these boundaries, God gave me these rules, it was it out of love for me? And so that's what it's kind of a reflection of. Um, uh, Marlin, your Marlin thinks Jesus left the building and so he goes into to helicopter pyramid. And then last, I will strike them with pestilence. It's a pretty strong statement there. Basically, that, what that is appeal is to a lot of times we just we don't think about the holiness of God. And, and that's particularly important when we have these promises, these things that God says in the Bible, like, I care about you, um, I am with you all the time, uh, I will watch over your children, you know, different things of that matter. Like, when you pray, I hear you. When you ask for forgiveness of sins, I'll do it. Well, it's God's holiness uh, that guarantees that, that, that it's true, that like that these promises in Scripture, that they're true. Um, and, and also, too, um, his, I think a lot of times we can fall into this idea of like kind of this universalistic God of God is love and God is gentle and he's this sweetheart, and that's true. He is the father of kindness and of love and of mercy, and he's also holy. And, uh, you know, and that is, um, he's not looking to strike us down. But, you know, it's kind of like when you, if you, if there is someone that you hold in very, very high esteem and who you hold with, who you think has incredible integrity, when you're in the same room with that person, you're kind of a little bit more careful about what you say. You know, like those little derogatory comments about friends or, you know, the political party that you don't embrace, you're probably not going to say those things around your grandmother who's like this pillar, pillar of, of integrity. Um, and it's the same thing with God. Like, he's a holy God, and, and, and we don't want to forget his holiness um, as, you know, as it pertains to our life. Okay, so last things here. Um, just some where do we not believe the gospel. Uh, these things like, all right, you go to Six Flags, hypothetically, and right when you get in line for the, uh, you know, and you're the leader, hypothetically, and, you know, you've, like, brought all these kids, you've driven two hours, you promised a great day, and you get in the line of the Goliath, and the water starts to pour from the sky. And it rains all day. And you're like, it, you know, like, it's a church trip. We should get good weather, right? Anyhow, so, like, I know that's a small thing. That's a subtle thing. But what's going on inside is, like, is God really for us? I mean, the junior high, the junior high Six Flags trip. He let it rain all day. You know, like, is God still good? Can I just be like, you know, it's raining. That's, that's kind of a bummer. But you know what? The Lord's sovereign, and he's still for us. And we're just going to see what God has, uh, you know, as we binge on dipping dots all day. All right. Um, one thing goes wrong, you start to tailspin into the doom mentality. 
um, that's, that's a reflection of not, kind of not walking in, in faith and the belief that God is good. Um, you take money or supplies from the company that, you not belong, that, that don't belong to you. Little things like that, like, ah, you know, I'll just take this pen home. Um, you know, like, do we not believe that God will provide for us to have our, have our pen or whatever it is? Um, you know, you fret over being single in your 30s. So you're a man or a woman, you're not married yet, you're in your 30s, and, uh, you know, I, I, you think God is against you. Um, you know, is, is God against you or is he for you? Is he sovereign and still being single? Um, you are anxious going into situations of performance. So you have a, you have a, a standardized test. Um, you have, um, you know, you have your, uh, you're an accountant. What are they called? What do those exams accountants have to take? Audits. Yeah, well, there's audits. But what are the ones you have to take to become an accountant? For C- CPA exams. Okay, yeah. So you're like, you're so anxious. Like, if I fail this, what's going to happen? Is God still sovereign? Is God still good when you do or don't? fail your CPA exams. All right, so here, final things here, um, and these are takeaways. Uh, the first um, first takeaway uh, for walking out the door is we want to base our view of God on what has been revealed to us in Scripture and on the cross. Uh, a, a very, and, and you know, a lot of times God does really come through for us in a way where we're like, wow, praise the Lord, he provided in this way. And God does kind of reveal himself to us in, in experience and kind of give us some encouragement that he's there. Um, but if we, our view of God is based on our experiences, it's based on what we see in the world, I promise you no one can believe that God is good. Especially no one outside the like suburban, affluent um, United States. I mean, if you're living in Sudan, you're living in Uganda, you're living in Haiti, just looking at the world around you, people dying, gross injustice, poverty, disease, all kinds of horrible things. The vast majority, 98% of circumstances in the world today, if you base your view on God based on the world around you, you will not believe that God is good. You will definitely not believe that he loves you, and you definitely will not believe that, uh, that he's here and that he's alive because the world is a broken, dark, ugly place. Um, and so we want, really want to go back to, that's the value of scripture, is reminding us of who God is based on who he has revealed himself to be. Um, next, when I ask the question, what part of the gospel am I not believing? Uh, this is a great question. So when I find myself uh, very worried about um, one thing or another, um, you know, I want to ask, like, am I believing in this situation that God is for me? Um, am I believing that God is alive? Uh, am I believing uh, that, he, that he really is good to his promises? Do I believe that he really does carefully, care for me in such a way that he adopts and calls me a son or daughter? Um, and so that's a great question to ask when you find yourself worried, frustrated with God, or feeling like God has abandoned you. And the final thing is this, and I think it's probably the most important, is faith is not a work. Uh, we cannot make ourselves believe. I would, I, I've, I've found myself making an idol out of the gospel before. And what I mean by that is, God is good. God is good. Come on. He is with you. He is for you. Basically trying to talk myself into believing. And, um, and yeah, I do want to remember the gospel. It says that in scripture all over the place. Remember the promises of God. Remember God's goodness. And I cannot make myself believe. I need to ask the Holy Spirit to give me faith. I need to ask the Holy Spirit to increase my faith. So if there is this situation that I'm very concerned about, whether it's what sorority I'm going to pledge at the school that I'm going to, what college I'm going to go to, uh, what is going to happen to my ailing parent or to my spouse who's been diagnosed with this, that, and the other, um, we, we, it's, we do want to remember the promises of God. 
Uh, we do want to remember his love for us in the gospel. Um, and we also need to, to ask God to help us with our unbelief. Um, in order for us to, to walk in faith like Joshua and Caleb and Moses did, and, and they have this, you know, they're, they're really up against great odds. And they are like, hey guys, we can go into the land. We're going to be fine because God's with us. They have this huge faith. It's not because they just worked really hard to talk themselves into it. It's because God was really generous to them. And God longs to be gracious and generous to us. So let's, you know, that's, that's something, just a routine thing. Lord, give us more faith to, to believe in your goodness and to walk in your promises um, so that, so that uh, belief does not become a work or something that we try to control. Uh, anybody have any questions? Disagreements. Tomatoes to throw. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, I'll pray for you. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are good, that you are with us, that you are for us. Um, Lord, I pray that you give us more faith to believe these things, uh, to walk in these things, so that we would love you more and love other people better. And Lord, I pray for, um, for, for people here or people that we know who just really aren't convinced uh, that you're good. Um, they've, they've had a, a Marlin kind of life. Um, Lord, I pray you'd reveal himself to you. You would reveal yourself to them. And um, I pray that you would give us all grace and patience and mercy um, in the areas where we really wrestle. I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.